Uh, we are in our series called Hydrate. Turn to that person next to you and say, Hydrate. Oh, you can do better than that. Tell them, Hydrate. And our key scripture for this series was found in Psalms 42. Turn there with me quickly. Psalms 42, uh, verse 1. It's actually verse 1 and part of verse 2. David writes it like this. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. David is probably standing at the spring there in En Gedi, not too far from the Dead Sea, as he makes this statement. He's probably watched some type of small deer, fawn maybe even, expose itself out in the middle of this dry, arid area where bushes are only about this big. There is no coverage. But because that deer is at the space, at that moment where it's about to die because it doesn't have water, it puts itself in jeopardy so that the psalmist can see them. At any moment, a predator could come upon them and kill them, but they so thirst and Last week with this series opening, I helped you understand that each and every one of us, by the moment that we're thirsty, we're already dehydrated. And we connected this natural phenomenon in our body to our spiritual body. Jesus actually does that in multiple places in Scripture. We were looking at both of them. Last week we looked at the moment, whereas the entire congregation of Israel, if you will, on that wonderful celebration, as they dip, as the priest dips the water into the spring, Jesus interrupts and yells out in a loud voice, I am this living water that you're looking for. Any man who thirsts, let him come unto me. And the scripture actually say he said he's referring to the Holy Spirit that he would pour out there at the day of Pentecost that you and I for the last 2,000 years have been able to have access to, who the Old Testament followers of God did not have access to. That the spirit of the living God lives and abides in us upon a profession of our faith and a coming to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And it was with that that I taught you last week the benefits and the difficulties of you and I allowing ourselves to be dehydrated or without the spirit movement in our life. And we actually connected this. Jamie and I, for this last year, have been meeting with a nutritionist. It started in our 40s when we started realizing that um, Satan had taken over parts of our body. I would wake up in the middle of the night and somehow this ring of fat was around my stomach. It was just like some curse has transpired. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. And as we began meeting with the nutritionist, her opening statement to us was, how much water do you drink in a day? To which I responded, none. Really? Uh, to which Miss Jamie just put her head down because she actually studied nutrition in college. And the next question that she asked us was, then what do you drink? If you don't drink enough water, what do you drink? I did better than Miss Jamie because she drinks, as you can tell, a lot of coffee. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I don't drink as much of that, uh, soda and some things like that. And to which the nutritionist began to explain to us, that coffee dehydrates us. It aids in that process of dehydration. The sodas with the, with the sugars and, the, and the, you know, the fake sugars and those kind of things, how they actually are polluting us and they're not healthy for us. And she asked us to commit to drinking 80 ounces 
of water a day. I probably, as I told you last week, I probably don't even drink, you know, 16 ounces of fluid in a day. And so it was a huge task. But as I began to drink this amount of water, everything in my physical body began to change. My skin, everything about me began to get more healthy just by changing the type of fluids that I was putting in my body and taking the polluted fluids away and drinking more water. It's with that that I want to dive in today to what we're calling polluted fluids for this part of the series, part two, polluted fluids. I don't know if you're aware of Flint, Michigan. Does anybody remember uh, or what has been transpiring there? In 2014, uh, Flint, Michigan and their water supply began to be polluted. The people of Flint, Michigan did not know it. It only came out in about 2019. So for five years, they were polluting the residents of Flint, Michigan. And what was happening was the old, um, you know, the old pipes, lead pipes, had not been adjusted, had not been replaced. And so there was heavy metal uh, of lead in the water. And people began to get sick a little bit at a time. Over 100,000 people were exposed to elevated levels of lead. And they began to break out with legionary, legionnaire disease. And 12 have died up until this point. And the lawsuits are going to go through the roof, right, for this city. All because the city uh, utilities department, the water systems were not clean and the people were being polluted. They didn't know they were being polluted. They were drinking water and it should have been healthy for them, but they were being polluted. I wonder as Christians, how much pollution do we take in on a daily basis? I want to take us to the second moment in Scripture where Jesus actually talks about living water. Talks about the life source of the Spirit of God inside of us. If you'll turn with me. Can I read a little bit of Bible today? Would that be okay? John chapter 4 and verse 5. Are you with me today? Say yes. Amen. We're going to read a good bit of Scripture, but it is church, so you should read the Bible, I would think. And so starting in verse 5 of John chapter 4. So hold on. Just put your seatbelt on. I'll read it quick. Verse 5, so he came to the town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is about noontime. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Verse 10, and Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God... And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Look here, sucker, how are you going to get water? You ain't even got nothing to draw with. Here, uh, excuse me, where can you get this living water? Question mark. Verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his flocks and his herds? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I don't have to get thirsty and have to keep coming to this doggone well, drink, drink, uh, getting water in the middle of the day when all the other women are laughing at me. Verse 16. I added that, by the way. Verse 16. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. Verse 17. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husband and, husbands, and the man you're now with 
now, it's not your husband, excuse me. What you have just said is quite true. Verse 19, my favorite. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. <laughs> I love this passage of scripture. Again, it is the second place that we find in scripture Jesus actually talking about this living water. With this series title, Hydrate, it is my goal and my purpose that over the next few weeks that you and I stop living in a space of spiritual dehydration. That we are hydrated, that we've got the living water, not just kind of dripping in us, but flowing through us. And it was with that that I wanted to point out to you this week that you and I, if we're not careful, we'll drink of so many other things that literally pollute the living water that's within us. And we have to remove the polluted fluids so that the living water can flow properly in our lives. So you and I can be filled with the Spirit so we can be refreshed in the Spirit every day when we wake up and all throughout the day because we live in a polluted society. We live enjoying our polluted coffees and our polluted soft drinks, if you will. And we like that, but it's dehydrating us and we don't understand why we're so frustrated, why we're so agitated, why we're so grumpy, why we can't seem to get the miracles that we're believing for, why we lose faith and lose hope so often throughout the week. Friend, you and I must have the living water that Jesus promised. In this passage, it's something pretty cool. I want to kind of give you a little bit of history and, bra- and, and, and background on some of these pieces. The Jews and the Samaritans were bitter at each other. They were hateful to each other. And Jesus, unlike the other Jews of his day, did not go around Samaria to get where he needed to go, but he went right through it. And he stopped at this city, Sakar. He stopped there knowing that he would have to engage with a Samaritan. Now, let me explain to you the breakdown on why they hated each other. The Samaritans were Jews that during the occupation when the different groups had come through and, and, and taken a bunch of the Jews away in the northern tribes, those Jews had other, if you will, foreign people brought in and they intermarried with them. And because they intermarried with them, the pure Jews, come on, talk about racism, The pure Jews hated them because they were half-breeds, because they had gone away from the traditions, because they had intermarried with those who did not love God. And the Samaritans, on the other hand, said, no, 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 we may have done that, but we have stayed true to Jehovah. We stay true to the traditions. In fact, this woman is at a well that one of the patriarchs, come on, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, one of the patriarchs, Doug, she lives at a holy place. She lives at Mecca. She lives at the spot where Mount uh, uh, Zerak, right here, Gerak, excuse me, is right there, right there at the foot, which is the holy mountain for the Samaritans, where they say that God actually moves. It was a holy spot, like the Catholics have this holy spot, this Magigoria type places, and the different religions have these holy spots. The the Jews saw it as the as the city of David, the Jerusalem. They saw that as the holy spot where the temple was at. And so then the Samaritans said, No, 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 it's over here on this mountain. Guess and it's right here at this well. And so here's this woman. She has grown up and lived by this well at this holy spot. She has lived in Mecca. She has lived in the holy space for her entire existence. And she has this moment where she goes to the well at noontime, which is not what the women of the hour did. They did not go at noontime. They went in the early morning hours. They would draw the water from the well. Now, this is a well. This is not a spring. This is not a river. And this is noteworthy. And wells, obviously, are 
stationary water. Wells have, have to be covered so that they don't get polluted, but they were more susceptible to pollution than a stream would be or than a river would be. And as she's standing, as she comes to get water, there, excuse me, there's a man there, Jesus, as we see in the scripture. The rest of the disciples have gone on into the town. This well is on the outskirts of the town or right there in the suburbs, if you will. And as she comes out there, probably so that she doesn't have to engage with the other gossipy women of the city, and she comes alone. She is a loner. She has lived her life in difficulty, as we find out in the text. And in this moment, she's standing there to draw water, and a man speaks to her and says, may I have some? And she looks at him and realizes, you're a Jew. Now, here's another man who always wants something from me but never gives me anything. This is the position by which this woman has been living her life. And then she engages with him in a religious discussion. Jesus, at some point, gets frustrated enough with her that he, go ahead, he goes ahead and he prophesies to her, which shifts everything. He engages with her. In the process of engaging with her, we realize that this woman, though she's grown up in church her whole life, she has been drinking from such polluted waters that she doesn't even see the one she's been worshiping is standing right in front of her. She doesn't even see the dreams of her life are right there in front of her because of the pollutants that she's been drinking from since she was a little girl. And I want to point out three pollutants right here. We can see the residue in this engagement with her. I want to point them out, and I want to connect them to you and I. As Even as I was studying this, I was like, oh, God, that's me. Oh, I've been drinking that too, God. I'm so sorry. And I hope you have the same expression in, in relationship to this message. Why? Because if you can realize the pollutants, then you can remove them and get the water pure again. That nutritionist said to us, if you'll cut down on the coffee and the soft drinks, I promise you it will transform your body. Well, the problem with cutting back on the pollutants is that we like them. That's the problem. In fact, I would imagine the people of Flint, Michigan thought they had the best water in town because they didn't realize they were being polluted. So let's point out, if you will, these polluted fluids. The first, one, the first one we find in verse 9, the first one is self-righteousness. Look what the scripture says. It says, And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, right here, right now, she should have went, yeah, okay. That's what I've been looking for my whole life. Why? Because she's dehydrated. She's living in a space of dead spirituality. She's at noontime, there's no joy in her. There's no peace in her. She's running away from her problems. She's broke down. And yet in this moment, she cannot admit she has a need. Come on, somebody. And look how she responds to that. She says, sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where will you get this living water? Because you Jews think us Samaritans aren't good anyway. And let me tell you something. I have fought through this life. I have stayed right. I have worked hard to become the woman that i become. And I want you to know something right now. I got a cup to draw water with. What you got? She is self-righteous. She, instead of responding to the king of glory and realizing who's standing in front of her, she should have said, when he says to her, sweetheart, 
If you knew what was in front of you right now, you would ask me for living water, and I'd give it to you. Mm -hmm. Now, where are you going to get this from? Look at her self-righteousness. Look at, like, I have gotten to this place on my own. Listen, we train our children. You can't trust nobody. You're going to have to get it yourself. Nobody's going to be there for you. This is the United States philosophy, that you and I are going to have to get it ourselves because nobody's going to take care of us. Nobody's going to help us get to our dreams. we got to fight for our own dreams. And what that creates in us is our own self-righteousness because we say, I did good, and so I deserve good. And we live on this merit system, and I keep pushing you on that. Why? Because that merit religion system, that we have, that self-righteousness is if I do five good things for God and only two bad things, then I better be blessed. I tell you right now, if I did, I gave my tithe and I did this, and the Lord, where's my blessing? And we've taught you that. Pastors have taught you that. And that is self-righteousness. The Bible says that none of us can get ourselves to heaven. That our righteousness is as filthy rags. That our righteousness cannot do anything by moving the hand of God or transforming our lives. It is but by grace that we are saved. Not by works in and of ourselves. Spurgeon said it like this. He said, the greatest enemy, Charles Spurgeon, the greatest enemy of the human soul is the self-righteous spirit which makes men look to themselves for salvation. The self-righteous spirit that I can do this in and of myself. Friend, the greatest revelation you can come to is that I need God. I need God. I can't, I can't be a good husband. I need God. I, I don't know how to be a good dad. I need God. I can't provide for my family. I need God. I can't be a good Christian. I just need God. I have wickedness in me that I'm battling every day. I need you, oh God. And instead of doing this, this woman gets into a discussion about how you're going to do anything. You ain't even got a cup. And I'm sitting here with a cup. You want something from me because I know what I'm doing. You just showed up at a well without a cup. How you going to get something and ask me for something? You're the one in need, not me. Why are you going to ask me, act like I need something? I don't need nobody. I don't need nothing. That's self-righteousness. And that's polluted waters. And that keeps you from having the living water. Are you still there? Say yes. Oh, come on. You're not still there. Are you still there? Say yes. Here's a second polluted fluid that she was addicted to, and that is her religious tradition. Her religious tradition. Look what she says in verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and the flocks and the herds? She goes on to say in the latter verse, I think like verse 19 or so, she goes, and she goes to say, all us, all us Samaritans, we know that the proper place to worship is right here at Mount Gezeret. And yet you guys say it's Jerusalem. She's got her religious tradition. She has grown up in church her whole life. She knows, she knows the systems. She knows there are going to be three fast songs and two slow songs. She knows how to get up there and move the crowd. She watched her daddy. Can you do it? Come on, everybody. Come on, just lift your hands. Hallelujah. Ooh, glory, glory, glory. She knows how to move the crowd. She's been in it her whole life. She knows the Bible up one side and down the other, but she doesn't have God. She's got tradition, but she doesn't have the power of the Holy Spirit. She knows the ins and outs of services. She knows what her great, 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 great grandfather Jacob had done. And do you think you're more holier than it? Do you know who I am? Do you know who my daddy is? 
I'll never forget years ago when one of my children were really young and I was running uh, Christ for the Nations Bible School and, uh, and, and this one particular child of mine uh, decided that uh, someone was trying to correct her about something around the campus there at CFI and, and this child of mine went, do you know who my daddy is? <laughs> my daddy's y'all's boss. Okay. So you better do what I'm about to. I ain't doing what you told me. The child was about eight years old at the time. And I found out about it, and I whooped that right on out of her. So that gives you a 50-50 chance of knowing which child that was. Why? Because that, my friend, is wickedness. That dead tradition, the religious tradition of system, systematically back and forth with no relationship. She lived her whole life with the tradition, but she had no concept of a relationship with the one who came to save her soul. She couldn't even see him when he's standing right there in front of her. I've met so many people who've gone to church, and they'll tell me, oh, you know what? I've gone to church, and I know this, and I know that. I know, I know more Bible than most of preachers. And I'll tell you right now, this, that, and the other. And you can see the try. You can see their spirit is dried up and dried out. They have no life inside of them. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and life more abundantly. This isn't about how many times we do or don't go to church. It's not about how much money we do or not give in the tithe bucket. This isn't about, you know, how many times we serve or haven't served. This is about you and I having a deep relationship with the living God and his Holy Spirit living and abiding in us and giving us life and life more abundantly. Dead religion says you got to do this and you got to do that and you got to do this and you got to do that. If you do all that good enough, then you get salvation. Then you get goodness. Then you get all these favor and blessings. And that's exactly what Jesus came to destroy. He said, no, 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 no. If you come to me, come to me, I'll give you life. Come to me, I'll fill you with my spirit. And all that other stuff will just fall into place. And all that sinfulness won't have its power over you. Why? Because you found life, the living water flowing through you. How many Christians go to church, but they're dry on the inside. They have no job. They have no genuineness of their relationship with the living God. And he said, I don't want you to live like that. The children of Israel lived like that with the rules and the regulations and the Torah and all these pieces of the law. And it was dead. It was dead to them. It wasn't inside of them. And now I've come to give you life. And the Holy Spirit will come and live and abide in you. And he will teach you. And he'll give you passion and compassion. He'll give you strength. He'll give you the ability to overcome your own wickedness. Come and drink of me. And this woman sitting there looking at him. And she's just as blind to it as all get out. Can't see it. Can't see it. No idea that the Spirit of the living God, until Jesus does something, and he moves in the power gifts. Which brings us to the third polluted fluid that this woman was addicted to, and that is disappointment. Disappointment. Jesus brings this out. We see the residue of this in her life when he, in verse 16, says, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right. I believe he, I kind of picture that he leans in. He says, sweetheart, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you've had five husbands. And the man you, are, you're, uh, the man you now have is not your husband. You want to talk about a woman who's lived in disappointment. I would imagine when she was a little girl and she was having her eight eight-year-old friends over and playing dress-up, that her dream was not to have five husbands, to be the scourge of that little community, to be the laughing stock. I would imagine when she said, I do, at that first wedding, till death do us part, she meant it. In Jewish culture, 
A woman was not able to divorce a man, but a man could divorce a woman, just kind of like Texas at will, you know, work at will state. They can just fire you without any real ramifications or, you know, ex explanations. You can just, it's an at work, you know, at work, uh, will at work, if you will, state. And the same thing was how they, the men could do the women in those days. They could just divorce them. Didn't have to go to court over it, just divorce them, be done with them. And this has happened to her five times. You want to talk about disappointment. You want to talk about brokenness. You want to talk about, what do those prayers sound like? God, where were you with number two? I have served you. I've been faithful to the traditions of our people. I have done everything that I learned to do in the Torah, and yet I'm cast aside and thrown aside. People who were supposed to love me have abused me and mistreated me. People who were supposed to be your people have made fun of me and talked bad about me. This woman has drank from the waters of disappointment on a daily basis. It has become her badge. It has become her identity. She's hiding that identity. She doesn't want to deal with that identity by coming at the noontime hour to drink of the water, to go from, get, uh, dig from the well, if you will. And she meets this Jewish man who begins to engage with her. And she has a good, pious engagement with him. She has this wonderful self I am okay engagement until he does this. And he says to her, sweet love, won't you go get your husband? And she says, I don't have a husband. He says, I know you've had five. Jesus probably starts mentioning them. Bill, Dewan, Jose. He's probably, he goes down through the names of them just because he can. Because he's the king of glory. And at the end of it all, she goes, I perceive you to be a prophet. And he said, yeah, I've been trying to give you some living water. You want to hold on to that old dry and dusty dead religion and your own self-respect. You're trying to make this thing work all in of yourself. And how far has that gotten you, sweetheart? Your disappointment has got you so far away from the living God. Your, your, your self-righteousness has pushed you so far away from the life source that you can't even see it when it's standing right there in front of you. You can't even drink of it. You think, I came to get water from you, girlfriend. I came to give you living water. I have, I'm on assignment. I'm on assignment for you, sweetheart. I've done everything to get you. I have not circled around your city like everyone else would do. I came right up in the middle of the prejudice. I came right up in the middle of the misunderstanding, and I found you. I could have come earlier. I came at noontime because I was after you, sweetheart. I'm after you. I want you to know Jesus is after you. He's after all of your dead religion. He's after all of your little self-righteousness. He wants to help you get past all your little brokenness and all your disappointment, and he wants to give you life and life more abundant. He wants to fill you with living water to where you wake up every day and say, Woo, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Can I explain something to you? Do you know how you've got, do you know one of the signs, excuse me, the signs that the living water's inside of you? Galatians 5. Here it is. Let me give it to you. Here's, here's the signs. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What 2020 showed me is that we got a lot of Christians that are dehydrated. Because this is proof that the living water is inside of you. 
That's what he calls it. It's called, he calls it the fruit of the Spirit. The, the fruit, in, in biblical uh, communication, it, it, they would use picture words. Fruit. Fruit. An apple is the result and the proof that that's an apple tree. You don't know what it is because you don't really know much about trees until the day it starts producing fruit. And then you can go, woo, you pull that apple off and go, wow, this is a tomato tree. How ignorant would you be? You wouldn't say that. Woo, look at this. I, well, it was a tomato tree, but it makes apples. It's amazing. It's a miracle. You wouldn't say that. You go, oh, this whole time. I thought this was an orange tree. Look, it made apples. What? And that's why so many in the world are confused when we Christians do not have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's the reason why our kids don't want to be Christians. Because if it's so good, where's the proof and the goodness? If what we have is so magnificent, where's the fruit? Because what they see is stress, worry, prejudice, hatefulness. 2020 said anything to me as a pastor. I looked around, Woo, there's a lot of folks that are like this woman at the well. They have held to their traditions. They have self-made themselves into a good person. They have fought through all the disappointments and they're still standing. I'm still standing. No matter what they did to me, I'm still here. And they're still standing. But on the inside, it's like death. They're dehydrated. There's no life in them. And you and I cannot continue on as a believer drinking from the polluted waters of self-righteousness. Put that aside. You can't do this in your own strength. You need God like you've never needed. Whatever you've accomplished in the past, it's as filthy rags, the Bible calls it. Listen, you and I cannot continue to drink from the traditions of religiosity. We can't keep drinking and thinking that we're okay because we went to church three times this week. No, no, no. I wake up every day and say, oh, God, oh, God, refresh me. Oh, God, I want love. I want joy. I want peace. I want patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, God, I'm dehydrated because I don't have self-control right now. Oh, God, I'm dehydrated because I can see that there's no love right now. I'm so full of frustration and aggravation because what this person posted, because this, what this one said. Oh, God, fill me afresh with the Holy Ghost, a fresh flow. Lord, I just turn on that spout and let the spirit of the living God. Give me living water. I don't want well water that's stagnant and it's just there. Give me living water that's flowing through me the whole time, flowing through me, not just stuck there and being come polluted. Come on, friend. This is who we are. This is who we're supposed to be. Stop drinking of your disappointment. Stop making excuses why you're still mad at him. And when he says to forgive him, that's your disappointment. And you love it. It tastes good to you. But at the end of the day, it's why you're dehydrated. Yo, you're a Christian. Oh, when you die, you're going to go to heaven because you made a profession of your faith and you love God. But friend, I cannot tell you something. The enemy's plan is to so dehydrate you that you die off the vine. That's his goal. To so dehydrate you that you die off the vine and that you live a life with the tag Christian, but you're nothing like what Jesus planned us to be. This is the proof. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. In 1996, a young Marine corporal named Joy Mora was standing on the platform of an aircraft carrier patrolling the Iranian Sea when incredibly he fell overboard. No one noticed his absence for 36 hours. He fell overboard without a life jacket, without anyone knowing in the ocean. 
They've never had, up until this point, they've never had anyone who's lived more than 60 hours in the ocean without a flotation device. Once after the 36 hours had already been, you know, after 36 hours and they realized he was missing, they began looking for him. Rescue teams were put together and they went all throughout the Iranian Sea trying to find him. And somewhere around the 60-something hour mark, they realized he's gone forever. Contacted his family and said he's been lost at sea and presumed dead. At the 72-hour mark, four Iranian fishermen found him in a subconscious state, treading water in his sleep. When they pulled him aboard, his tongue was completely swollen, and he was at the point of full death. Took him weeks to recover, and on a Dateline special, talking to Stone Phillips, he made this statement. He said, back and forth I went in the ocean. Thirst began to take over my, my will. All around me was water that I could not drink. For with my training, I realized that if I drank that water, I would die within hours because it was pollution to my body. Come on, you know about salt water. He said, but what happened was even as I went in and out of consciousness, my thirst for real water kept me alive. My thirst for real water kept me alive. I don't know about you, but there have been times that I went to church and I was just going through the motions because my thirst for the real water kept me alive. Friend, can I tell you something? We live in a polluted state. We live in a polluted world. We live where we're getting bombarded with so much wickedness and hatefulness. And friend, it's only going to get more intense. Come on, mark my words. I've been telling you this for months. It's only going to get more intense. So you and I better have that living water flowing in us. You better be careful that you don't drink of the pollutants anymore. You need to take all of that prejudice and say, I will not drink of it. You need to take all of that disappointment and say, I won't drink of it anymore. All that self-righteousness. I can do it in, in and of myself. Put it aside. I'm not drinking of that anymore. I'm falling on my face, and I'm crying out to the living God. Jesus walks up to this woman, and he says, give me your cup, and I'll give you living water. He says, just give me what you got. Give me your little cup, and I will give you streams of living water. He wants to trade her. He says, I will trade you your little cup, your little mess, your little life that you think is so awesome. I will trade it for something that you could never even imagine again. He says, I will trade you with your disappointment, and I'll give you a reason for existence. I'll take your self-righteousness, and I'll give you my righteousness. He wants to trade out your addictions and your difficulties. He says, come. Come, give me that, and what I'll do is I'll give you living water. I'll give you life, and I'll give you life forevermore. You and I hold on to our little traditions, and we hold on to our little way of doing stuff, and Jesus wants to rock your world. The moment that he prophesies to her, because see, not only do we have to have the fruits of the Spirit, but when we come into relationship with the Holy Ghost, what happens is he gives us gifts, and Jesus uses one of those gifts and says, girlfriend, let me show you what I'm about to do. I'm going to give you a word of knowledge that's going to rock your world, because you've never seen any human act like this because no human has had the power of the Holy Spirit flowing in them like it flows through me because I'm the king of glory. So he says, I tell you what, go find your husband. She said, I don't have any. He goes, that's right, you've had five. The guy you're with is not your husband. She goes, ding, 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 ding. 
you must be a prophet. And about that time, his, his disciples show up. The Bible says that she scoots out and she goes, runs to the city. And she says, come meet a man. Come, he, come meet the man who told me everything about my life. She has this moment of change the moment she drinks of the living water. The moment she actually says, oh my goodness, it must be. He must have something that I don't have. And the moment she accepts it as truth, you must be the one. When the moment she accepts that as truth, it changes everything about her. And the Bible says that the entire city comes out and they put their faith in Christ. When you and I have the living water flowing in us, our friends can't help but get right with God. Because they're all dry and thirsty. This old world is dry and thirsty. We're not going to change the systems and make it better. The people in the systems have to get changed. The people that are in controlling positions have to have an encounter with the living God. They have to have an expression of, oh, my God, I don't know what I'm doing. I need you, Jesus. And when that happens, all of this old wicked world will begin changing. When men and women taste and see that he is good. But to do that, we've got to let go of our polluted fluids so that we can drink of the living water. Oh, listen, if you've not had love, if you've not been walking in joy, if you've not had peace, it doesn't mean that you're not a Christian. It just simply means that you've been drinking of polluted waters because of the power of the Holy Spirit, the proof that he's at work in your life, love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, gentleness, self-control. When the nutritionist said to me, Pastor Adam, you came to me for help. I said, yeah. Because, see, I'd been arguing with her. I don't eat that bad. I don't understand. I mean, I'm just really here for Jamie, for support. I'm not the, I'm not, my weight's fine. I, you know, I'm good. Good, I'm healthy. I don't eat fast food and stuff. I mean, I don't work out a whole lot. I don't need to because I'm just, you know. And she did all those little measurements on me. She said, ooh, pastor. She's a Hispanic lady. She said, ooh, pastor. Pastor, you need some help. Pastor, we need you here a long time. And you're not going to be here a long time. Not if you don't change. And so I put aside the soft drinks. Miss Jamie kind of put aside the coffee. But I want you to know, I started drinking 80 ounces of water. I started putting aside the pollutants that I was putting in my body. And I started getting more healthy. My energy level went through the roof. I'm telling you, my mind became more clear. When we come back next week, I'm going to teach you how to turn on the living water in a practical way every day when you wake up and go through your day. But today, as we close out. I know as I was speaking to you, why? Because I've been praying for seven days. Oh, God. Every man and woman in this room, awaken them to the pollutants that they keep consuming. Not because you're a bad person, because you, like this woman, are doing your best in your own strength, but those pollutants are keeping you from having the freshness of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Would you do me a favor? Would you stand quickly? Hey, guys, wasn't that a great word today? You know, I'm so thankful that the word isn't limited to a Sunday morning at a certain time or the four walls of the church building, but it can go through whatever time you may be watching this, wherever venue you might be at. The word of God can minister to you no matter where you are. 
You know, if you're interested in partnering with what Church on the Hill is doing, not only locally, but globally, you say, I really want to invest with that, with Church on the Hill in advancing kingdom business. You can do so by partnering with us by sending a donation to P.O. Box 3815, Cedar Hill, Texas, 75106. Hey guys, we love you. We look forward to seeing you again.